conversations to give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you living your best healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, as if we never left. It's the Black Psychologist Podcast, also known as the Eighth Wonder of the World. (laughs) Appreciate everybody being here with us today. You could be anywhere in the world, but you're here tuning in with us. We appreciate that. For your listening and viewing pleasures, I am one half of your humble and gracious host, Dr. Kyle Osborne. He is I and I am him. And of course, you all know, I'm never here by myself. I'm here with the one and only. He's so far ahead of his time. He's about to start another life. Look behind you because he's about to pass you twice. My guy, Dr. Jason Coleman, what's going on with you, good brother? What's going on, bro? How you feeling, man? Doing well, brother. Doing well. How's everything on your end? Oh, man, I can't complain, bro. I'm just chilling, man, you know? You know, long day, but it's cold out. I got my, uh, damn, it's wrong, wrong hand. I got my lemon water, so I'm chilling, man. Chilling. Yeah, I see you, you hoodied up and everything, man. Got you know, I, I see you out there. It's not, not a game out there. I got the window cracked, man. So, you know, we're gonna be at single digits tomorrow. So, you know, I gotta, you know, I gotta stay uh, warm. You know, <clears throat> this is absolutely go nowhere weather. I'm, I'm not playing any game. Working back from back home. Yeah, you know how it is. We in Jersey, man. It's no no games out here. You know. What's up? Um, what's up uh, with the weekend? What you got planned, bro? Nothing, man. Nothing. I'm staying at the crib. It's cold. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, I'm not it's playing. The, it's, uh, it's a DoorDash kind of weekend, huh? Absolutely. Let's see what's going on. What's on this Netflix and HBO Max, and we're gonna call it a day. You know, that, that's oh, what that is. Absolutely. You got any uh you got any uh suggestions, any Netflix suggestions? For those that haven't seen, if you're looking for a good comedy, uh for those of you that haven't seen the Eddie Murphy and um Yeah. Yeah, listen, <laughs> that is very what is that? Um what's it called? Just us or uh for- you talking about the one with Jonah Hill? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that- I don't know what it's called. I didn't see it. But it's I saw the, check it out. Um, preview. Check it out. Yo, it's a lot of like um, it's a lot of like conflicting opinions about that. I heard both opinions on both sides, but I'm gonna watch it because um, they say Kenya Barris wrote it, right, or co-wrote it. So Kenya Barris wrote it. Neil Long's in it. Lauren London's in it. Mike Epps. A lot of uh, decent comedians. You know what it is, and uh, not to get too far on a tangent, it's like a uh, more modern version of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, right? So people are familiar with that. You know, they did that with Sidney Poitier, you know, years and years ago. And then they redid it again with like Bernie Mac and, and Ashton Kutcher. This is like the reverse of that. So it's a modern day with with, um, with Eddie Murphy, Jonah Hill, Lauren London, uh, Neil Long. Um, uh, what's my what's my, my girl's name? Um, very funny actress from uh, from Seinfeld. She played Elaine. I forget her name. She was also on the beat. 
Um, oh, she, yeah, she's funny. Yeah, she's funny. So they have a decent cast. So they cast it very well. So, I mean, some of the topics, I mean, I, I, I can kind of see how they might be controversial. However, at the same time, there are conversations that people have. So, um, but yeah, check it out. I, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend everybody. This is not a paid ad. Netflix is not paying me, even though they should be paying us. Um, I absolutely recommend that for anyone's entertainment pleasures this coming weekend. Do that. Tomorrow might be the day for that. So there you go. And as always, we definitely want to thank all of our first time and last time and long time listeners and watchers um, and viewers. We really appreciate the love and support. We absolutely hear you guys talking. We hear the feedback. Uh, we appreciate the subscribers. Um, so thank you for that because there is no us without you guys. So continue, share, like, all of that other different jazz. Just continue to support. We we love it. We, we hear you guys. I mean, listen, you're definitely right. Definitely got to take time to thank everybody who, you know, takes the time to listen every week. So, you know, we'll get into it without further ado. You know, we'll get into it. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, so first and foremost, Jay, unfortunately, we have to um, we have to address this. We have to discuss this, this situation that took place. Um, this has been at the forefront of all the news cycles um, and current events. We have to d- discuss and get into the uh, the unfortunate situation and death of uh, Tyree Nichols. Uh, for those people that aren't aware of what we are referring to, uh, the unfortunate situation where another young African American male was um, was killed by at the result of police brutality, and uh, I'm going to give like a brief kind of you know, summation of what what transpired. If you haven't seen it on the news um, or if you have you know, the recap, the video was released late last week. Um, you know, some people have been able to watch it. Some people haven't, you know, completely understandably. Um, Jay, did you get a chance to see it? Yeah, I mean, listen, um, I was on the fence as to whether I was going to watch it, you know, like I've seen enough murders on social media, right, on my phone, but for the purposes of being like as well informed as I could be, especially to do this, like, yeah, I did watch it. Um, But like one of the first things I wrote down in terms of like us talking about it is that like people should not feel pressure to watch it. Right. Um, Because again, you got to understand, like everybody has to remember like vicarious trauma, you know, it's a real thing. Right. Um, These are real murders that people are witnessing. You know, it's not like television, (laughs) you know, Um, these are real people Um, and watching these things over and over and over again can have a, you know, um, negative impact, you know, depending on how you're consuming it, how long you're consuming it um, and what your vulnerabilities are. Right. So um, limiting your social media is always a good thing. Like, but with that being said, I did see it. Right. Um, So obviously, you know, I was sick to my stomach when I saw it. it was violent. It was vicious. It was horrific, you know, um, you know, and it really, it more so resembled trapping and beating an animal than, you know, a human being, but, you know, um, that's what I saw. So what, what did you see? Um, and I was on the fence also. I mean, well, well said. Um, I had 
a similar kind of I kind of vacillated regarding watching it um, and then also saying, well, I want to stay informed. Uh, it's uh, I don't know. To say that this incident was horrendous, disgusting, inc you know, um, incomprehensible, all these other different words that have been used to describe it. I don't even know if those words accurately describe what we saw, right? I mean, it, it's, it's, I mean, just watching it, I only watched it once, right? Um, and that was more than enough. And you just saw, like, someone who was treated so inhumanely, so you saw the dehumanization of an individual happening in real time, right? Right. Um, and, um, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I, I can't say, you know. One thing, you know, that I thought, and I, I don't want to say interesting in a way, like, I want to be very careful with that word, but like the New York Times put out an article and they were just talking about, obviously this video has been analyzed, all of them. I think it was four videos, you know, by a lot of people up close and personal, every angle they can get. And they were talking about, he got 71 commands in 13 minutes, Right. And they were talking about the call the commands he was getting were contradictory. So they right. would be telling him, put his hands up while they're while they're holding his hands, right? And hitting him, right? Um, so I'm not draw that, you know, how analogous is that to so many situations, right? Where we see police officers either on video, we've heard people saying where they're saying, stop resisting. Stop resisting. And a person's just getting tased and tased. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and they're saying, stop resisting, stop resisting. Meaning we know all of this is, they know they're being observed on body cameras and different, you know, um, types of recordings. But this is just such a blatant example, right? You're telling somebody, you know, put your hands, put your hands up and you're hold, literally holding their hands down while you're assaulting them, right? 71 in 13 minutes right so this was not like they were you know aware <clears throat> you know that their actions were being recorded right so they were trying to create a narrative you know that something was going on that was right and that's why you see so many people being terminated incident was initially rec uh, reported um but again 71 commands 13 minutes yeah, they were they were contradictory. They were nonsensical orders, um, and it didn't stop there, right? So, in addition, of course, to those orders, and then just continuing to assault him in various manners, right? Whether it's been pepper spray, whether with the batons, whether they're just kicking him and punching him, um, even at the period or at the the area where he was supposed to receive medical help, right? Because that's why you said a lot of people you're starting to see a lot more heads roll as they should. So even when the EMS and EMT ambulances and, and officials, mm -hmm. you know, arrived, they didn't administer any any help or any services for him. Even though they see him visibly, you know, needing help, right? He's slumped over. Like, you can see that this individual needs help. And they didn't even render any services until maybe, like, after five to ten minutes had passed. Um, right. And, I mean, it was just just a disgusting display and, and the five officers, the original officers, because there have been more that have been 
um, that have been added to the list, but the five original officers who were all black that were involved in this incident were fired um, after an administrative investigation found that uh, they had violated department policy on the use of force. And so they were charged last week with second degree murder, two counts of official misconduct, two counts of aggravated kidnapping, one count of official oppression and one count of aggravated assault. Um, so the EMT and the EMS um, responders, they were also fired. I'm not sure if they are going to be indicted on charges. I know it's just been kind of like an ongoing um, situation just as more information has been, uh, been coming to the forefront. And so, I mean, the thing that got me was this. All right. Um, so the Memphis police chief downplayed the role of race altogether and called the, the officer's actions incomprehensible and unconscionable, but downplayed the role of race, right, that it played in the incident. So her quote was, it takes off the table the issues and problems in law enforcement are about race. It's not. It's about human dignity and integrity, accountability, and the duty to protect our community. And this video will show you it doesn't matter who's wearing the uniform that we all have the same responsibility so it takes race off the table but it does indicate to me that bias may be a factor also in the manner in which we engage the community and see when i when i heard her that when i heard heard that quote and i read it even i i can't disagree with her even any more than that right like i, I really like it i'm really sitting here and i'm looking at like did she really say that race is not a factor in any of this. Well, I just think, I think she's just being honestly a little bit disingenuous to try to prove her point, right? There can still, there can be like problems with law enforcement and policing in general and their accountability and the blue code of silence and all of those things and the dehumanization of black life and black life being cheap in a, cheaper in America than a lot of other lives. That can all also be true at the same time. <laughs> right. And the fact that when we see African-American males in that position, that we're being killed at those high numbers, that's kind of where those two things intersect. <laughs> you understand? Exactly. Um, logical people can understand that. But I think like when I look at this, I believe all of the officers on the video were black. Right. Yeah, they're all black. Right. Right. So to me, I mean, listen, I'm, is there a racial element to it? You know, um, we could probably have a healthy debate about that. But what I see is more of like, because when I look at these police videos in general, what I don't see, right, is when I when I see groups of like four, five police officers, like we look at George Floyd and we look at these other videos when we have groups of police officers beating on one person, right? What we don't see is one person pulling them off, right? One person would have, with a with a with a badge and a gun and a uniform, right? Going against those other three people. Like, yo, that's too much. Stop. The couple of times that we've seen that, it's gone viral on YouTube when we've had one officer hold the other two accountable for like stomping on somebody's head and arrest them, right? It's gone viral. So it tells me more about like group behavior and compliance and how that kind of affects people's decision making than anything else policing right because again when we look at this situation bro this is five different people 
right? Now, mind you, these are five different people. My bad, I got to turn my phone off. Five different people with five different brains, right? Five independent thinkers, right? Not one of those five people had regard for the safety of, of the kid, right? Why they were, uh, of the young man, right? Why they, why they were hitting him. The safety of him, like, yo, he could die, right? Nobody had regard for the fact that they were being monitored, either through their body cameras or somebody else could be recording them and nobody cared about future consequences and they killed them five people they didn't think that yo he's we're hurting him right we could be being recorded and tomorrow we're gonna have to pay for this shit nobody thought about that five people beat somebody to death and nobody thought about it and their job is to protect the community so that's why i said it tells me more about what that shit does to your decision-making in the wrong circumstances, you know? Um, is there a racial element to it? Yeah, I'm sure we could have a healthy debate about that, but this is like group mob behavior. It tells me more about that than anything else, you know? That comes into play anytime, like you said, it is a group. Because well, one, the one element is it's a systemic issue, right? Two, the race factor is that the suspect is black. And anytime the suspect is black, we know that there is an issue, right? Whether you want to have called biases, whether you want to have just the way that that black human life is valued, we already know, right, that that comes into play for the reason that if that's someone that's in the majority in regards to ethnicity, that situation isn't going to take place, right? There are plethora of studies that have shown that, you know, the officers, the bias comes in, whether they're black or white, as far as the officers, you know what I mean? They're just as brutal as their white counterparts as it is when it comes to suspects or, you know, when it comes to these these um, these car stops, traffic stops, whatever you want to call it, the suspect where a person is black, right? Plus the real study. We already know that. But it's also a systemic issue in the sense of when you have a group or a fraternity of order as such, you know, there's that pressure to conform, right? You got to be more blue than anything. And then also you take into consideration because you mentioned the aspect of the video cameras. Now, typically, right, a situation where if you know you're being recorded, typically it's a situation where people, it forces or adds that element for you to be more professional, right? To do what's in the right manner because you are being recorded. You're being, the surveillance is being, but what this also tells me is that this is something that is more of the norm, right? This type of behavior, but it's not people aren't being held accountable. So you have a situation where some of the more information, I saw something that um, an article maybe a couple of days ago is that four of those five officers already had issues or had things on their jacket, right? Of acting inappropriately or, or showing excessive force. So what that says is like, all right, I've been doing this previously and I've gotten away with it. So we know anytime you do a behavior, depending on what the consequences are in the environment, well, if there's satisfying consequences, then it's more likely that that behavior is going to happen again, right? And it's also a situation where it's like, well, hey, well, you know what? Even though we have these body cameras, they're not. Either they're, either they're not being viewed or, again, the situations are being swept under the rug because you know and I know the best way for you to predict future is what? Based off the past. So these people have been doing this type of behavior, maybe not to the same extent where somebody was killed, but I'm pretty sure I would imagine, and I'm confident that there have been other situations where 
they had there were complaints that were coming in about them being excessive against other different individuals in the community, and nothing happened. So yeah, you know what? We're gonna rock this person up. We're gonna treat this person less than because we know that we're gonna get away with it because we know the system is going to continue to allow us to get away with it. We're gonna be protected by the bad. We're gonna be protected by blue. And that's the situation right there in itself because you can overhear them, right? On some of the different videos, you can overhear them talking about like what they did, right? Like after it happened, one officer said, yo man, I hit that man with so many pieces, right? The other dude was just like, the other officer that I think that's got, um, that was just released for fire, was like when they were chasing him, he was like, oh man, I hope they, I hope they do him in, right? Like that's the type of conversation. That's how comfortable they are talking about this human person. Oh, I just hit him with so many pieces. I did this, I did that. Because they feel like, oh, there's no there's not gonna be any consequences. So this reinforces that type of behavior. And so to your point, when you have a group that operates like that, yeah, they're more likely to operate and participate in more type of antisocial behaviors because it's like I'm not going to be held accountable. So yeah, I'm gonna we're gonna wild out, we're gonna treat people less than, we're gonna do all different types of behaviors that are totally inappropriate, unhealthy. But I'm not gonna be held responsible. So I'm gonna we're gonna continue to go move as such because we're protected by the cloak of the badge or or, or the blue. I mean, it's it's horrific, man, because it's a, such a systemic issue that that's what needs to be addressed. Well, this is 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 uh this case is interesting because I think it's like I think I was reading something where they were saying like it's record time in terms of them being like fired or charged and then arrested. I think it was like 20 something days, right? Um so this is going to be interesting in terms of how this plays out and then you know of course they released the video. Um so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out um, in terms of the trial and all of that, you know. Um, but it's but it kind of seems from the district attorney to the police chief on down, it's like, you know, they kind of want to distance themselves from this, you know, uh, as quickly as possible and kind of kind of not wrap it up. But in a sense, like they're going to throw the book at all of them, you know. But I just thought, again. I just thought it was, you know, um, again, I mo- I use the word interesting lightly. I'm saying in terms of looking at the case and human behavior, just in terms of how, you know, a person can throw all of these things out the window when you got five independent minds operating at the same time. Right. Um, and remember, like all of these people were alive and conscious when other police officers have been caught on tape doing other crazy things within the last two to three years right um so again i think it you know like you said i think it speaks to like within those bubbles that they're operating right like their community i think it kind of speaks to the differences in power right because and i kind of want to amend a little bit of what i said like Will do they think that I don't think they ever feel like they'll be they'll face any consequences, right? right? If they're if if they're caught on video, well, do they think they'll be held accountable? Hell yeah, they know they're gonna get fried, you know. But it's kind of like when we see problems with like COs in prisons and all, and, and it's the same thing with cops on the street. When typically when we look at you know um, the neighborhoods that they're doing this, right? The the people that they're doing it to, 
they're not doing it to people that are going to run to lawyers to sue them, right? And that have a whole lot of recourse. So there's there's a power differential going on there, right? So we got to look at that too, right? Um, there's a classism, and and think about this, right? So if you if we look at how many is even just the high profile cases, right, that have made it to the news, that have made it to the CNNs, that have made it to the national level of coverage. How many, in regards, we're looking at just the police officers. Let's look at the ratio. What's the ratio of the police officers actually being held accountable, right? How many of them actually were fired or even found guilty of those charges? It's in the minority. Right, right. It's in the minority. And even while even while the, the, the charges or the trial or the investigation, I should say, is taking place, what's it typically been? For the majority of these officers, they're on leave, paid leave, right? So I did something horrendous, right? I either killed an individual or, or severely injured them. But in most of the high-profile cases, these individuals, unfortunately, have lost their life. And the officers are put on leave, paid leave, while this is taking place. And if it gets, if it makes it to the extent where they're going to be on trial for some type of criminal charges... It hasn't even been likely that that they're going to be charged with anything or that they're going to be convicted guilty. So think about it. If overall, if I'm in that family, right, if I'm in that community, oh, I feel protected. I'm good. Like, we're going to do what we do out here. We're going to go through the process, but they're going to protect the boys in blue, right? I'm not saying that just in general, but given what we've, we've seen, right, of the high-profile cases. So I imagine that these officers were like, all right, well, if anything takes place, like we will be cool. And then there's an investigation, like, yo, we're gonna be sent home on paid leave while all of this plays out. And reinforce that behavior. Now, absolutely, I see like it was definitely a difference in that all of them were fired and immediately charged. They even went to jail, some made bail. I think, I don't know if all of them did, but I think a few of them have already. Um, but it even took time for this to take place because this happened January 7th, Jack. January 7th. And most of the noise and most of the coverage didn't take place until sometime last week. So there was still like a week and a half, two-week period. I understand the investigation and so on and so forth. And maybe the department was like, hey, well, this is blatant. We don't even know if we can cover this. Like, there's no way we can try to, you know, maneuver, change the, the perspective, so on and so forth. So they went through with it. But, I mean, the question I have to ask is now, if they were white officers, do you think that they would have been fired and then charged immediately? Because that's another element that sometimes we have to Yeah, ask. I mean, if they if they beat somebody to death on videotape, yes. I, I, we've seen it, Jay. I mean, like, yo, certain things, I mean, listen, I get it, and I'm not, I'm not even that guy, but certain things I just think, yeah, if if you beat somebody to death on videotape, you could be a green officer and you're going to debt, you're going to jail, you're going to prison. Like I you know what I'm saying? I and I get it, you know, but in this in this case, I really don't think it would make a difference. We got four videos. We got a, a kid that I think is 26 years old, he's dead. I don't believe he had a record. You know what I'm saying? And he and and he has a mother that's going to advocate for him. And she's telling his story as to who he is. So somebody's going to be held responsible. 
And that's the element. That's the thing I want to tease and out. That's, and that's, yeah, and that's that. People don't, they don't have that. Like you have a situation where you're affecting a marginalized community that typically doesn't have the resource to run to a lawyer or push it even further where you can hold people accountable. So, um, but in this particular case, like I don't really, what color, whatever color the officers is, just the circumstances of this, I just think, I, I'm not, I, don't, I just think it's irrelevant. Not in every case, but in this case, I think it's irrelevant. You know, because they just fired the white guy too. I mean, well, he was making comments on, it was the, the whole situation failed him. Like, let's let's call it what it is. Tyree Nichols should have made it home to his family. Simple as that. Yeah. Should have made it home to his family. And that culture and that system which is problematic, that's what led to his death. Yeah. People just all around, like at every step of service that should have been provided, like it all failed him. That's what killed him, just the system. Because it doesn't matter because it's always been that argument of, well, let's put more black officers in the community, right? That'll help. That'll help the situation. That'll calm the police brutality, their bias and things of that nature. And yet, to a certain extent, that will help. However, if the culture of the system is problematic, it doesn't matter who you're going to plug into. You're going to get the same result. Yeah, and we got to really, and I'm just being honest, like we just got to be serious that we're talking about police officers that break the law. Because again, New Jersey, like there's plenty of black officers in Newark and East Orange that they make them connections with these kids in the community. They, they good dudes, you know what I mean? So... They're not the ones out here doing this, but we got to be clear. You know what I mean? I, it's not everybody, but definitely these people that we're talking about that's on this videotape. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, it's uh, there's more and more information that, that's coming out to play. Um, so continuing to monitor it. Absolutely. At this, this point in time, it's sending our thoughts and our hearts and our you know sympathies to, to the Nichols family. Um, because this family shouldn't have to go through it. You know, simple as that. So, um, so we'll, we'll see. But, you know, it's going to be an ongoing thing. Um, something else that happened earlier this month was uh, your boy, your boy 50 Cent, your boy Curtis Jackson, Jack. All right. Listen. So earlier this month, on the syndicated hip-hop show, Big Boy's Neighborhood, your boy 50, Curtis Jackson, all right, went off and said he gave his uh, his take on depression, all right? This is what he said. He says, I think depression is a luxury. Where I'm from, and he grew up in the uh, South Side, Jamaica, Queens, he says, where I'm from, you can't afford to be depressed. You got to pay bills, right? So you got to go to work. You got to get up. You got to do what you got to do. You got people right now that's at work that don't feel like being here, but they got responsibilities. When these guys get in the slump and they just decide that they're not going to do anything, I'm like, where do you do that at? I'm think, I think the things that you go through make you who you are. So there you go. So, um, Jay, what, what, what's, your, what's your take on this? What's your, what's your take I mean, on this? I mean, first of all, I mean, listen, you know what my take, I mean, obviously, listen, uh, some of, a lot of his music is a soundtrack of my um, childhood, 
So, you know, I'm going to always love 50, you know, now, you know, some of his, all the trolling he does on Instagram, you know, it's entertaining. I love raising Canaan, but on this point, obviously it's very wrong. Um, you know, listen, we know depression is a medical, you know, um, <clears throat> medical and psychological disorder. We don't have to go into that. Um, the specific symptoms that define depression, um, obviously. And then, but I think the bigger question problem and conversation is that these are the type of comments that contribute to stick the stigma, right? Um, and kind of what he's talking about and what he's insinuating, at least in my opinion, is that in his circumstances, you know, he didn't have time for mental disorders, right? Or depression, right? Because he had to push through, right? Um, and again, in my opinion, again, this is part of the problems that lead that uh, and stigma that lead to people not seeking tr treatment, right? Because pushing through is very common for people who are in like survival mode, right? Um, and that's going to be very common when you attach financial factors to it. So people who are struggling, people in low income neighborhoods, right? All of these circumstances that he was insinuating, right? Um, but I think these are part of the issues. Now, a bigger conversation, and, and again, he didn't say this, and I'm not putting words in his mouth. I don't think anybody, you know, has to do that. But what is true about people who are in survival mode and people who are pushing through, right, is that, of course, they might not have the access to care and they might have not have the luxury to, to stop working to receive care. You know, that part is very true. You know, that may depend totally on your finances and resources, right? But you never want to put out into the air, you know, that, um, you know, people who are struggling or people who are in the grind or in survival mode, you know, um, don't have the luxury to to be depressed. Right. I mean, obviously, you know, that's not true. But yeah. I don't know. With, with 50, man, um, you know, 50, he has these moments where he has to latch on to something and troll. And I don't know if I would put this in the category of the, the um, outrage media or outrage, you know, advertising, because this is what he does at times. Like he, he has to say something that it's going to, it's going to antagonize or it's going to activate strong feelings and conversation. And then that, you know, that that's, that's what there he you does. go. You know there what I mean? Um, and so on, I, yo, I don't, he's, he's He's very intelligent. Like, there's no way he doesn't understand that it's not that black and white. Come right. on. Right. And and so here's the thing. Like, I, I, you know, if I'm taking them at face value, right, and that that's what we'll do for the, the purpose of this conversation, you know, I was thinking, like, all right, well, maybe, like, does he, I think he has depression confused with resilience, right? Be Because that's what I feel like the angle where he's saying, like, when he described... You know, you got to get up. You got to do what you got to do. You got to go to work. You don't have time to be down and so on and so forth. Right. That that's more in the lane of being resilient. Right. That you have to overcome whatever barrier, whatever stressors. You got to get things done. Um, but I agree with you. Like his words are, are irresponsible and reckless, you know, to a certain extent, because this is the, same, the type of language that perpetuates stigma. Um, or of depression or of any mental health issue. Right. Because it. it it sends the message that 
having a mental health issue is associated with weakness or being a character flaw, right? Like it's a luxury. Like I don't have time to be depressed. I got, I got to do this, that, and the third. So that's where I feel like the harm is with that, because you're going to have some people again, that are going to take heed to his, what he's talking about um, and not look at it for an, from an actual lens of like, okay, this isn't, you know, how you handle a situation as far as when someone actually is depressed or, or something of that nature. Um, but that's how I'm looking at it. Like there's a difference between being resilient and even though you're in, um, you know, a tough situation coming from an impoverished background and you have pretty much every life stressor and every, everything is stacked against you. It's like being resilient is overcoming in spite of, right. In spite of the mental health issue, in spite of the stress, in spite of all the other different things that you're experiencing. Right. That's what resilience is, right. It's not a thing where like, Oh, I don't have time to be depressed because that's not the way it works. Right. You can still be depressed and be functioning right it's not a good place mentally and spiritually and emotionally but you know what i mean they're not like oh well i don't have time to be it so that's that's that's, where i think it's it's really threatful but that's how you know again with the statement that there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what it is right because thousands of people are depressed and go to work every day and they take care of their kids every day right and thousands of people and see this is what where he may be, you know, respectfully confusing is the fact that, you know, in certain places, right, and with certain demographics and male to female and all these other characteristics, depression is going to be expressed different. So those same people that you see getting up and outside and working and doing, if we look at their other behaviors, you know, is uh, is their depression being is it being focused inward, right? <laughs> is it being focused? Is it coming out as aggression? Right. Is it being expressed in other mm-hmm. ways? Right. The, the depression doesn't manifest itself in one way. Right. So, um, again, I do think there is some merit to the bigger point that your circumstances do. If you are depressed or if you have anxiety. Right. Your circumstances damn sure um, may impact like your access to care, how close you are to quality services or your ability to stop what you're doing and receive care like that's a factor if you got financial resources and you got a time at work that you can take off and go get mental health services that's going to be way different than somebody who's working day to day or working under the table or you know something like that where if they don't work you know they don't eat right so understand that in terms of access but again obviously the statement is wrong and it's a fundamental kind of misunderstanding of what it is yeah i'm I'm gonna need him to be a little bit more selective when he you know wants to do his trolling and um you're not gonna get that brother you're not gonna get that (laughs) so just so everyone is clear absolutely if you are experiencing depression and you're able to go to work it's not one or the other not they're not mutually exclusive it's a situation where we absolutely are encouraging and emphasizing that people, please, if you are experiencing any of these symptoms, right, if you're, you know, the lack of sleep, you're losing your appetite, you're not, you know, finding any joy or you're unable to participate in, you know, activities that typically bring you joy and enjoyment and you're experiencing these, you know, this depressed mood, please, please, please reach out, please get help. Um, 
You know, don't don't follow the step of this guy and being like, oh, well, you don't have time to be depressed and you just got to continue to move forward because that's how that type of mentality exacerbates the illness. That's how your conditions yeah. get worse. So, yeah, but for you real, know, anyone that, he's that trolling. you know, he's yeah. trolling. Like, listen, if this became like a big I mean, he did receive a lot of backlash online. Right. But let's say it was like tons of let's say he said he made this comment in 2000 and six or 2003 or four kind of at the height of his stardom as like a rapper when they interviewed him right about it he would be able to give you an answer that was in a lot more depth and it would be similar to what we're saying right because he's a very smart person you know but i think it 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 leans more along the lines of what you were saying. Like he uses social media to kind of generate attention and he don't mind rubbing certain people the wrong way. It don't matter whether you feel like a line is crossed. You know what I mean? With certain things, he'll, he'll still, you know, push up against that line. So I think it's more so of that because I think if you was to ask him about the comment on that level, it would be the, the answer that he would probably give you would, you know, it would, it would mirror that a lot more a lot more it'll be it'll be it'll have a lot more debt is my point so i think all all i can do is shake my head at this guy man um always something uh speaking of shaking my head all right jay so so going down in philadelphia and other neighborhoods across the country there has been the rise of an animal tranquilizer called xylazine Right. That's and now on the street, it's 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 called trank or trank dope or zombie drug. So what this drug is being used or what this um, substance is being used to is being used to bulk up fentanyl and making fentanyl and heroin even more devastating than it is. All right. So the issue um, with this with with trank is that it causes wounds that erupt with like a scaly dead tissue called uh, Escher, right? And if that Escher is untreated, it can lead to amputation. So like what it'll do, it'll induce like, um, when you mix it in with the fentanyl, you mix it in with with the heroin, what it does is that it induces like the blackout stupor for hours. So um, it's even mixed the, the, the fentanyl and the dope like even more potent. Right. So when somebody uses it, it pretty much renders them like vulnerable, like for for hours. So and then when people do come to like the high from the fentanyl and it says like even the high from the fentanyl for the, the dope has faded. It's like they crave even more because of the, the trank that's been added to it. And so um, because it's a sedative and it's not a, an opioid, it's like it, it's resistant to like the opioid overdose reversal treatments that are out there. So some information has been uh has come out to Philly um more recently some recent data it says more than 90% of Philadelphia's lab tested dope samples were positive for xylazine, right? Mm. Um there was an article that came out recently um with an uh an outreach worker from Prevention Point so for those people that aren't aware in the Philadelphia area, Prevention Point is like um, it's a 30 year old health service center in Kensington. Now, people that aren't familiar with Kensington, if you ever see any um, 
any documentary about heroin or about fentanyl or about the heroin epidemic that's come into play for the past 10, 15 years, you'll be hard pressed to see any documentary about heroin and Kensington is not involved. Like, I love my city, born and raised in Philly. Um, but this is Kensington is just one of the areas that has just been uh just downtrodden. It's just one of the areas where um I mean, you want to talk about drug use and like heroin has how when it, it ravaged and takes over a neighborhood, that's what Kensington is. Like, right. I mean, the pictures and what you hear about it is is as as accurate as they say. I mean, you have people that are literally using, they have tents, you have homeless, like you have, it's happening within a two mile stretch right in Kensington area, like in on Frankfurt and Kensington Avenue. Like it, it's not, it's not a game. Like, you know what, Kensington Avenue to kind of, for people that aren't familiar with it or haven't seen a documentary or any of the images, um, think of Hamsterdam off the wire, but mm-hmm. worse, right? Like it's an area where even though law enforcement knows what's going on, they're not going into that area, right? It, it, it's, yeah, you talking it, about you? It's an open air drug market, pretty mm-hmm. much. It's it's an open air drug free zone, like dr- I mean, not drug free drug zone. Like that's mm-hmm. literally what is worse than Amsterdam than what it was on a wire. Like you can in real time, you can unfortunately see people shooting up, overdosing, like anywhere you look and turn around. Yeah. Um. So Prevention Point is located like right in the heart of Kensington. And the outreach worker who's been working there for years said in the article, he was like, Philly's supply is saturated. He said, so he said of this drug trade, he said, it's too late for Philly. He said to me, like he said, it's too late. He said, if other cities, you know, are able to read this article and see what they're going through, he said, maybe they have a chance to avoid it. If other other states, he said, but they need to hear our story. He said, it's too late for us. Um, Another study came out. And they said uh, within 36 states um, and and in D.C., he said it's been found in 25 percent of the drug samples. 25 percent, Jay. Um, He said, and that's just what's been confiscated. He said, we're not even talking about the stuff that hasn't been out there. So he said the saturation is probably more and more than likely greater. Um, But of course, the true prevalence is unknown. And the thing is also is that hospitals don't test for it. He says state medical examiners don't do it also. They don't routinely test for this particular substance. So it's like in that legal gray zone. You know what I mean? Like it's in that um, like 50 years ago, I believe I was doing some research on on this drug. And he said it, it's it was uh, 50 years ago, 50 years ago, it was an FDA veterinarian prescribed medication. And it's oh, not wow. listed on a controlled substance for animals for, or for humans. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that's why it's not subject to strict monitoring. Um, Listen, man, that's the that's the thing about drugs, man. Like, there's always going to be new drugs. You know, remember when we were first talking about fentanyl, um, we, st- we were talking about the rainbow pills, right? Um, and the thing I think people got to remember is that you literally like are playing with your life, with your life, right? Because you have regular people that are playing chemist, you know. Um, and a lot of times, you know, a good or a bad dose is going to depend on how well they play chemist. You know what I mean? Um, and that's a dangerous game to play. 
you know, um, but it's big money, obviously. So they're not going to have no regard for nobody's life because, again, when we talk about power, you know, and I know, you know, um, that there's so many people that are caught up out there in that field, you know what I mean? In you know, in zombie land <laughs> out there, you know, that, you know, when somebody dies or necessarily, you know, they're not going to necessarily get the same type of recourse as somebody else that might have more, you know, resources. So listen, man, it, this unfortunately is not going to end. Um, um, education is important. You know, I think obviously, you know, we got to keep allocating resources to this type of you know, um, support because this is a chronic issue. Um, but it's the same way in New Jersey, Baltimore, cities all over, you know. Um, so I, uh, unfortunately, you know, substance use is something we're going to have to continue um, dealing with. So you know, awareness, though, awareness, it's, right? It's uh, it's I mean, you know what? It's just like with each new substance that they're 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 uh they're stepping on this heroin and they're they're mixing it in with um because half of the stuff out here now is, is I mean even more than half all of it's synthetic right they're all mixing right. it in with other different substances that are in that legal gray zone and i mean this stuff like it, like if you see the images you see it like this trans dope like this stuff literally eats your flesh i mean like you see it like Yo, i don't want to see no images of that no it, it's 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 Man, I mean, this is like self-destruction at its finest. Just the, the word, we just the name. Knew, yeah, like, it, like we already knew what heroin did by itself, but then you put the fentanyl in it, and it was even more potent, and it was, you know, now you're, you're adding this added substance and component. Like, it's, I mean, the education piece is pretty much what you're able to do because if you're looking at it or operating from, a harm reduction lens um it's only even a few cities that even go as far as with that aspect right so if you're going to provide a situation or a system or environment where people can get like clean needles or they can get like other different measures where they can do like the the harm reduction protocol that even goes so far you know and i think there are a couple places like in new york where they actually will um they have like supervised injection sites right, where right, they right. will actually like, you know, it's a safer condition. Again, not condoning the usage, but this is this is if we're operating from the meeting the patient or a client where they're at. Right. They have these facilities where they have safe injection sites and they also have areas where like where they actually test the drugs right prior to the person using it. But I think there's only like two of them, I think, in New York. I don't know if they have any others along the East Coast. Um, but if like they were able to have measures such that's as crazy. that, like, I ain't never heard another that, different major area. Yeah, man, like it, it's like real. That. Like only yeah, only two exist um, in the U.S. and they're both in New York. They have like they've taken it where they can actually test the drugs that the person's getting ready to shoot up to make sure it's not cut in with anything lethal or anything, right? Mm. So, I mean, I feel like in other areas, if we're gonna do harm reduction, you know, programming is that that needs to be incorporated, especially in some place like, um, like Kensington, you know, like if you're going to have areas or zones where it's heavy usage, 
if you're going to cut down on at least some of the fatalities, like you got to have fights and things of that nature. Um, but, you know, it's tough, you know, because even when if you're feeling the different side effects, right, say if you you use this trank dope and you, you're, you're feeling some of the side effects and it's starting to affect your flesh, it's a situation where people are going to be less likely to even go into a, a, a medical hospital or an ER to get help because of the shame and all the other different things that's associated with that. So it's like so many different areas on this cycle that keeps you so? them from getting help, even just for the medical stuff, you know? You think so, man? Yeah. Listen, I mean, I think listen, Jay, I, I'm... A flesh-eating ailment is going to be rushing to Albert Einstein. But I could be I wrong. I think they, some will, but I think most of them won't just because of the shame that's attached to it. Like, you you and I have Possibly. both worked in, in major hospitals, right? We've worked in ERs. We've worked in a lot of different medical and hospital settings. And you know, and I know that some health professionals, all right, don't act in the most friendliest or non-judgmental no, I get nature, you, right? I, I get you. So okay. it's like, if you're coming in and you feel like you're going to be judged and they're going to see the marks on your arm and, you know, when you go through the whole triage process and you're getting that attitude or, or that, that shame or whatever is attached to it, you're less likely to want to come in. Right, less likely one to seek service, so it's it's tough, man. It, it really is tough all around. Um, education, I feel like more harm reduction movement and programs would are going to be helpful. But uh, yeah, this this is this is some nasty stuff. This is some really nasty stuff. Um, this trank, man. So again, we always want to make sure we're trying to stay in front with the jargon and with all the other different things that are coming out. Cause like you said, like you said, you got the, the, the rainbow colored pills, you got all these other different things that are coming out and you got to be careful. You have to be very careful. Uh, I dig it, bro. You, know, you got some, some evil folks that are sitting someplace, you know, concocting these things. Uh, speaking of which Colorado is experiencing quite a bit of a mental health crisis right now, Jack. All right. Um, especially in combination with the mental health crisis, uh, I mean, not with the mental health crisis, with the COVID pandemic, um, they, Colorado, their children's hospital declared a pediatric mental health emergency uh, in late 2021. Suicide has been the leading cause of death for teenagers and young people and young adults in Colorado for the past several years. So they've been experiencing a lot um of mental health issues just in, in various different areas. So something that's been proposed has been psychologists would like to help by being allowed to prescribe medication. All right. So uh, there is a um, there was a, um, a legislation that came past that was started by 80 psychologists um, that are pushing for the right for psychologists to prescribe in that. Now, currently, there are five states that allow um, that allow prescribing uh, powers for psychologists. All right. So this is the way it works. Right. Uh, in order for a psychologist in any state to receive the uh, prescribing powers, psychologists who already have a doctoral degree uh, would have to go back to school for a postdoctoral master's degree in clinical psychopharmacology, which would take two years. Then they would have to pass a national board exam, then go through a year of um, of preceptorship, 
or working like clinical rotations under a licensed prescriber. And then for the next two years after that, they would have to have a conditional prescription certificate in which would allow them to prescribe, but only under the supervision of a consult um, of a consulting physician. All right. So um, that would be the course if mm -hmm. uh, in any state, if they want to do the prescribing powers. Um, however, not everyone's on board with this, right? Because it seems like a right. good idea. Like, you know, they're about in, in uh, Colorado, I want to say there are over 3,000 psychologists statewide. So it seems like this would be a good idea, right? You know, you're talking about individuals that see patients, especially, you know, biweekly, weekly, monthly, whatever the circumstances may be. And for them to have an additional source where someone that could prescribe them medication seems intuitive, right? Seems like it would be helpful. Right. However, medical doctors and other psychiatrists say that it's dangerous to let non-medically trained psychologists prescribe mental health medications. So that's the kickback that they've been getting. They said it's dangerous, Jay. Yeah. Only people with a metal degree, a medical degree, they said, should have the, the ability to, to prescribe medications to clients and patients all right so here's my thing i don't feel like it's necessarily the danger or the dangerous angle that psychiatrists or the medical physicians are uh concerned about right because that's been the same type of issue um that's been going on in pennsylvania like that argument has been going on in pennsylvania for years that where mm -hmm. psychologists have been trying to get prescribing powers and trying to pass the legislation and such. I think it's more on the aspect of the money or the financial aspect of it, right? For the reason that if you have psychologists in different states or all along statewide, no matter what state it may be, if they are given the ability to prescribe, well, I mean, think about it. Well, then, then how does that, what makes... What sets them apart from the psychiatrist, right? Because, and I'm not talking bad or throwing, you know, any shade or, you know, minimizing. You said once they do all that, I know once they do all that stuff, you mean. Right. So it's like, you, you know, once they get the math, what's going to make them, what's going to set them apart, right? Like what's going to make them, what's going to, what's their specialty going to be if we as psychologists are able to also prescribe medication in addition to provide therapy and provide assessment mm -hmm. and so on and so for everything else that we specialize in. Oh, so you're saying so, like, it's their net, they, they, they don't want their niche being taken away. Correct. Right. I don't feel like it's a dangerous situation because they said non-medical or now non-medically trained psychologists. Right. But as I just detailed and just laid out in order for anyone to be, or to gain prescribing powers, you have to go through that rigorous training, right? You're talking about mm -hmm. an additional five, six years of psychopharmacology training. Yeah. So clearly they're going to be trained in addition to the training that we already have, right? About any um, mental health medications. But mm -hmm. again, that's what I think the kick, that's why I think the resistance is. That's where that's coming from because now it's like, well, well, if they're doing therapy and they're doing assessment and they're doing medications, well, what are they coming to us for? Like that immediately, I can tell you significantly, it's going to impact their financial aspect. 
That's what I. That's what my brain came up. I mean, listen, I don't. All right, put it like this. I don't disagree with you, right? In terms of it being a point, because I remember when they were talking about it in New Jersey, right? Like just in terms of you know different groups, there was a group of psychiatrists, right, who were advocating against it, right? Um, so I do think some people do look at it from that financial aspect, but, but. One, we got to remember there's a there's a been a shortage of psychiatrists for a long time, right? So, realistically, like, listen, I I, I understand the argument, but there's a shortage of psychiatrists, and not like a little shortage. Like, there's a vast shortage. You know what I'm saying? Two huge. Two, like, this is one of the things that sounds good, but very, 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 like, yo, out of 100% of psychologists, I would be surprised if under 20% are ready for this program, probably, you know, and out of that 20% is probably half of them that could probably, that, that I would have the confidence of getting through this program, because, again, it, like we gotta also remember, like I'm gonna be very honest. Like I respect what I do, cause because everybody, you know, doesn't have the skill set to do, you know, what we do. But everybody doesn't have the skill set to be a medical doctor either. And what we're essentially talking about is sending people back to school for master's degrees, right, and for additional training, medical training, right? That's a di- that's a whole different type of thinking. So. For the thinking to be, I understand, like, in the conversation, people might think, like, oh, they're kicking the door open. All these psychologists going to run in there, and all of a sudden, they're going to have prescription pads. But no, psychiatrists and psychologists think very different for a reason, right? Because the people that get into medical school and the people that go get PhDs and PsyDs usually have very different profiles because they think different. So. My point is, whatever the the um, test that you'll have to take to get in his, to get in his master's degree program, I'm sure it will be an MCAT style test. You you understand what I'm saying? It's not going to be a GRE or whatever style test. It's going to be an MCAT style test. So you're still going to have medical orientated thinkers. So my whole point is, it's still going to be a smaller subset, I think, than than people um, are kind of paying attention to so i you know i i don't really think it would be a it'll be a big deal if 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 they if they allow this in all 50 states i don't think in significant numbers you're going to see psychologists that are either willing to do this or are able to do it we're not medical doctors so everybody can't just switch their mode of thinking to that you know i think um i believe i agree with you in the sense that I don't think it's going to be high numbers just for one of the reason. I don't think it will behoove all psychologists to participate in that. Right. Everybody. Don't want I to think do now that. if you maybe. Right. Like, I feel like the motivation to one, one, go back to school and, and, and get the masters and take the national boards and another two years of, you know, you know, of uh, clinical rotations and so on and so forth. Like, I don't I just feel like a lot of psychologists, even like some of our colleagues aren't going to be motivated to do that. They just won't be just because just the additional years of schooling and 
two, I think also if we're looking at it from a financial aspect of it, like, well, what does it behoove you? Like, will it increase your earning potential? You know, for those of us like myself who work in a hospital setting, it wouldn't be it wouldn't make sense for me to do it because we already have individuals like psychiatrists, like APNs, like nurse practitioners, like PAs that already can prescribe. So it's not going to make any sense for me. You know, I'm not going to be granted those powers. It wouldn't behoove or wouldn't be conducive for me to do so. Now, maybe if someone's working in private practice, right? Okay. I think it it increased their earning potential for the reason that, you know, they'll be able to take on more clients. So so they won't have to refer out. Right. So that's in that aspect, I feel like it's beneficial if a psychologist does um, explore that option for the reason that, okay, as opposed to having an individual that they believe will benefit from any depressant, right? Or, uh, or any other type of mental health uh, medication where it saves them time, where they don't have to find a psychiatrist, wait weeks or months for an appointment and find the right, then they have to go through the whole process of explaining their, you know, their symptoms and what their history and so on and so forth. Right. So I absolutely see the benefit in that, especially if it's like a warm handoff, right. If um, It cuts back on that time on getting someone who needs medication. It shortens that, that duration and that, that um, stressful process. So that's cool. I, I see that aspect of it. And at the same time, again, it really depends on the psychologist. I don't feel like a lot of people are going to be motivated to do so. And I just feel like just the environments in which a lot of us do that, I don't feel like they're going to be as motivated. Now, do I feel like we would be good at it? I do feel like because we spend so much time with our patients, right? We spend so much time. We're already, again, already have training into, you know, mental health related medication. And, you know, we have these conversations with our psychiatrists, right? And a lot of different um environments and and circumstances. I know I can speak for myself. I have conversations with my psychiatrist uh, who covers our our patients and we have the discussion. Okay. What do you think about this medication? Or like why, you know, we might inquire, well, if this patient's on this, are there any other different antipsychotics that this medication may, or, you know, is it better that this patient may be on the traditional psych, you know, as opposed to the, the second generation or whatever the case may be. Right. And we have those dead dialogue. So that works. I feel like we'll be good at it, you know, depending on our training, our background and our work environment. Um, so, yeah, more power to someone if they do want to perceive that, because I absolutely feel like we, you know, have the know how and the knowledge <laughs> with the additional training. We'll be good at it. We will. Matt, but I mean, listen, I, I don't see a lot of us going forward. So I, I just don't see that extra six, seven years. I don't see a lot of people that, doing it, but it's that, good to have that option. though. Listen, man, I, you know. We just got different opinions on this one because, again, I I think there's a lot of things. Like, listen, you can look at psychologists and be like, "Yeah, we might be good at a lot of things. Like, we might be good lawyers. We might." But, but when you, I, I just <laughs> simply think because I mean, think about what we doing. We talk and communicate, you know. But, bro, in my my humble opinion, you know, it's like medical doctors like i respect what i do in terms of and i and i just respect the boundary in terms of there's a reason why master's degree right I, and then i think what you told me was master's degree then one year supervised two more years then two more years right so that's oh, almost, no, yeah but you also that's almost you still got to pass years. that national board exam exactly yeah, yeah. 
Exactly, which is going to be formulated like a medical exam, right? Not even not like the not even like the licensing exam I just took. And what and and the reason why I'm saying I respect boundaries is because, bro, we went to school. We went to a medical school, right? My brother's a doctor, right? MDs, DOs, medical doctors, they they they're taught different than us. They think different than us. They're different people. You know, in my humble opinion, like they're different people. They have a different skill set. It takes a very different skill set to be a, a medical doctor than to work in mental health. There's no disrespect to either field, but yo, you know what I'm saying? That That's just how I see it. So The thing Again, is, no, um, what? not saying could, but but if we're just talking in general, we don't have the foundational training. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We just we just don't. We don't have the foundational training, you know. Um, so, again, um, you know, this whole conversation started out of an area of need. So, you know, I'm confident that whatever they've put together in terms of that master's degree will, will equip you. So I think whoever went through that program would be um, well equipped to do what they have to do, but we got to look at the, at the, the, the reality is the average master's program is like two plus years, at least. Then we're talking about one year supervised, another two years, and then two plus years, additional supervision under MD, you know? So that's a lot of, training you know so you're gonna get and, and the reason why i think all of that is that long is because you got to get all of that foundational training you know because when you start and talking about psychiatric psychiatric drugs you know there's a difference between a doctor consulting with us and you know you prescribing something that could kill somebody it's different you know like and see that i i feel like all that training is most likely going to be through the medical model. Like oh, I feel oh, like yeah, everything yeah. as far as how we do it. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's the reason why I would feel like, okay, after you get that training, you're going to be operating from a medical model, right? It's not going to be like, I, I feel like, of course, you'll still be inclined from our training that we've received, but it feel like, because it says there are only five universities that offer this, right? Mm -hmm. Only, and they're all medical centers, right? It's not like you're going right. to, you know what I mean? That's not a PsyD or a PhD. And, and that's, all, that's, that's what I'm in saying. The US. Like, we could probably, yeah. right? Like, put it like this. Obviously, we're not saying any names. But if we could probably look at our cohort, right? And look, if we were just thinking at our, of our cohort, right? There would probably be four people who have the makeup, the skill set, all of that. And you would be like, yeah, I could see them doing that. You know what I mean? But that's four right. or five people out of 26. That even if everybody raised their hand and said they want to do it, you and me both know, like, you, you you would be able to look at people and kind of look at their performance on certain things, and you'd be like, <laughs> you know, do you understand I'll what tell I'm you saying? What? <laughs> so I, you go I through you're this, saying, you but, better. You, but, <laughs> but, you know, it's you a, go it's a through this, this training, you, yeah, if you go through this training, you better be able to do be able to prescribe because this this seems rigorous just the way that they laid out so i think you're going to come out of this whole program if you do like decide to partake in this you're going to come out the other side like a, a totally different human being anyway you know but yeah. i mean i think it's good to have that option 
Um, I, I'll sit here and say that I, I'm not, I have no motivation to do this at all. <laughs> I'm done with, I'm done with, no, no, school. I'm good. That's what I was going to say. Listen, I'm done. I have more power to him. Um, but I'm done. But like I said, I, you know, it's one of these things where I think it's a lot of uproar for nothing because. One thing you, we can guarantee is that these people will be very well trained when they're done. You know, so yeah, absolutely, it's cool. Um, but um, so yeah, that's um, that's all we got for for today, Jay. Anything else before we get out of here? Nah, man. Just want to, um, of course, thank everybody who takes the time, you know, to uh, listen. We appreciate it. Um, definitely thankful um, for the increase in subscribers and spends and all of that um and just you know make sure you go support my man uh kyle's venture that he's about to promote right now and that's it you know thank everybody for tuning in absolutely um if you're interested in buying some clothing shop mental health clothing.com is available so you can not only feel good with your mental health but you can look good with man, your rocket. I, I was talk- um, talking about your 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 charity. I'm gonna man. get to it. Hey, hey, oh, okay, I, of okay, course, okay. of course. Um, yeah, I'm gonna get to that. Listen, we both gonna shine. You know what I mean? Right, uh, we're right. busy individuals. Um, in addition to that, absolutely. Um, uh, something that is continuing to be a work in progress, and I'm proud of is uh my nonprofit is the Cami's Closet Community Clothing Project, in which we provide free essential brand new clothing to the homeless um, and those that are experiencing transitional and um, financial restraints. So absolutely, if you're interested in helping out the homeless community, uh, $1, $5, $10, $50, it all helps. Um, so Kami's Closet, K-A-M-I-S, closet.org. Um, there are links to donate. That's our website. Also, you can go to um, at... Cammy's Community Closet on um, on Facebook, on IG. Uh, we got our YouTube page up um, at community uh, at Cammy's Community Closet. Also at, on YouTube, check us out. But there are all links there. We absolutely will take and love the support from any and everybody. All right, so um, it's something that we're continuing um, to work towards. We had our first donation event. Uh, in the middle of January. In fact, it was on uh, MLK Day, Service Day. Um, great situation. We worked with Philly Homeless. We gave out and donated over 200 clothing items, 200 brand new clothing items uh, to the individuals at Philly Homeless, which used to be Philly Sunday Breakfast. Uh, we're really happy that they allowed us to uh, provide clothing to their residents, a uh, great organization over there at Philly Homeless. And uh, we're working with some other different organizations that we're going to be helping and providing clothing to. So uh, we appreciate the support. Please continue to donate. We love uh, the feedback that we've been getting so far. So yeah, camiscloset.org. Check us out, donate, help out community. All right. So without anything else, also coming soon. All right. Part two of our conversation with the one and only Dr. Ashley Poole in regards to relationships just in time for Valentine's Day. All right. So we know we love uh, the feedback 
and all the comments that everybody provided us. We know everyone loves when Dr. Poole comes over and, and shares her expertise with us. So we absolutely will be getting back to you guys and advertising when we're going to be going live because that's going to be a live event. We're going to be allowing you guys to be interactive and, and comment and, and get that feedback and, and converse with us as we're having a conversation. So that's going to be happening within the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned for that date. And um, that's all I got. We appreciate you guys being here. Jay, anything you got? Anything before we get out of here? much man again just as always thank everybody who takes the time to listen um you know we'll see you next week all right wishing everybody good mental health till next week i get at you jay all right bro